0: Welcome to another Tied Together episode and today we're going to be talking about digital and how events are progressing through digital and we're speaking to Ike Singh Kahel, who's the CEO of Social27, a hybrid events platform and revenue accelerator. Ike, welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you so much, Katrina. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And all the way from Seattle?
1: Yes, I'm in Seattle right now. That's correct.
0: But origin is, or, origin Indian?
1: Yes, I was born in India. That is true.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. And how long have you lived in America? About 22 years at this stage. Yeah. Okay, nice. So, so you know, let's talk a little bit about your history and how you got into the event space.
1: Certainly. So, I used to work at Microsoft, did that for about eight, nine years, and uh, I used to uh, work in a worldwide team where I would be doing events across the world, you know, for Microsoft partners and customers and so forth. And so mm-hmm. events fascinated me always, just, you know, people coming together, uh, amazing minds, you know, being having the opportunity to just work with and listen to and collaborate with people from all across the world was very fascinating. So it was certainly a very big passion of mine. And I continued in that industry post Microsoft as well. Uh, You know, so in the last eight to 10 years, you know, we've had social 27. And we focused on all sorts of events, uh, learning events, uh, training and sorts of that. Uh, And then also, you know, in 2019 is when we kind of rejigged our platform to focus on the next gen of events, the event experience. And uh, I guess we'll talk a lot more about that uh, in the podcast as we go further wonderful
0: so social 27 has been around since 2008
1: yeah that is correct that was a when we registered the company but we came into market with some of our first uh, products and services in 2012-ish because as you remember in 2008 um, the whole world fell off the cliff with that crazy economic situation that happened so yeah we had to delay our launch to the world by two three years yeah
0: Wow, I do remember. Yeah. So was one of your clients at Microsoft? That is correct. So, (laughs) you
1: know, being working at Microsoft, I certainly knew some people and also knew uh, what kind of uh, challenges they faced and what solutions would work for them. You know, so that knowledge did help me in creating some uh, parts of my product which appealed to uh, some of the people I knew at Microsoft and they gave me a chance and it was successful. And so Microsoft did become, you know, one of our biggest customers and still is.
0: Okay. So, I mean, how did events look like in those days? And, And, you know, what were the challenges?
1: So at that stage, you know, a lot of our events were training focused. Think of more like online learning kind of stuff. But we also did big, massive conferences where we would stream the conferences, you know, onto our website. But that would only be done when it was a big, massive conference. Like, for example, Dell was also one of our customers, something called Dell World. They would do once a year. And mm-hmm. so we would stream all their keynotes. The reason why it was only some of the content, like I would say, you know, less than 25% of the content was actually streamed was because streaming was very expensive, you know. And also the people on the other side who were the, uh, consuming the, the, those streams, you know, as compared to now, the experience wasn't as great. So, you know, there was challenges. So uh, only very big companies could actually stream content and, uh, you know, do a virtual component to their event. And that is a reason why it took a while for this whole industry to evolve because the technology was just not there. So we were certainly doing more e-learning kind of stuff versus actual conferences where you had a lot of streaming sessions and all that in real time. Versus, you know, in learning and in uh, training, there's a lot of uh, content that is on demand. That technology was you know doing pretty well, but the streaming side of things wasn't as good as it is now, and certainly a
0: lot more expensive than it is now. Mm, OK. so I mean, this is how you know technology develops, isn't it? I mean, it, it is expensive at the beginning, like a telephone yeah absolutely and then people find ways to to you know figure out that actually you know okay everybody starts doing it and the competition is there absolutely
1: yeah so over the years the internet speeds have increased all across the world the people who are consuming the streams you know they have you know pretty solid internet connections even if if it's at home or on a mobile device or in many different parts of the world you know the connection speeds are pretty good now as we all know so that is one of the main reasons why In 2019, we decided, like, look, the technology has come. The people are using all sorts of streaming, uh, you know, video in their daily lives. You know, they're streaming videos uh, on YouTube. They're streaming um, movies on Netflix. You know, they're streaming music on Spotify. And it's just a world where people, the technology has caught up. And it's a very big part of everybody's personal lives. So let's completely reimagine the event experience. You know, where you know, real-time video and interacting with that video can all become a reality. And that's what we did in 2019 was our so-called R&D year, a research and development year where we spent like pretty much the whole year developing the version of the platform that is in the market right now.
0: Right. So you've come a long way since 2008. That is true.
1: You, know, it's, uh, you, you learn uh, over the years and you tweak things based upon customer demand and or customer feedback. So, yeah, we've done multiple things over the last few years, certainly, yeah.
0: And and your clients, where are they mainly based? Are they all over the world, basically?
1: Well, a lot of our customers are actually multinational companies. You know? So, for example, if I work with Microsoft, I work with Microsoft in the U.S., I work with Microsoft in the U.K., I work with Microsoft in China, in Singapore, Australia, Dubai. So it's just, just one of the customers, as you can see. Like I work with the different teams, different orgs, different subsidiaries across the world. But then on the other side, when it comes to, like, I work with Canadian companies, I work with, you know, I mean, all sorts of companies across the world. But I would still say the majority of my customers, roughly about 50, 60 percent, are still U.S. based, even though they
0: might have operations across the world. Mm. I mean, I suppose, you know, it's always it's a bit like that. If you set up a business in a country, then you're going to attract direct clients within the country, aren't you? that is true
1: uh very true but and also as we know the US market is pretty massive mm. you know so i think a lot of companies who might be in other parts of the world also do like to dip into the market out here there is a lot of opportunity and then once you're in with a company in the US you know then you can also work with their subsidiaries across the world you know so yeah that has certainly helped us
0: mm and social 27 what's in the name <laughs>
1: it was uh, actually 2007 was when we we naming the company 2008 when we registered it so you know it was just uh that and then um it was also a number which uh is uh you know personally important it's also my birthday november 27 and uh we were looking for domain names i wanted something social in there and finding anything with a social was pretty much impossible so we started thinking about put some numbers to it and then came up with social 27 year 2007 and also personal reasons
0: yeah I see. I see. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, COP26 earlier. So are you doing some uh, quite a lot of sort of social impact events?
1: Yes, uh, certainly. So for us, social is two parts to it, right? One is certainly social impact, but then also the other ability for people to socialize. Because I thought that the reason why people come to events or anything in our life, I mean, not just events, you know, I think collaboration is key. Uh, you know, we are, at the end of the day, a social animal, human beings, you know. And so the point is, our goal always was to focus on technologies and or solutions or services, whatever be, under the umbrella, which, you know, where people socialize and they socialize their ideas, they socialize with others, they network, you know, and uh, also create social impact, right? So it was all of that together is a philosophy behind what uh, I wanted to build in the company,
0: yeah. Right, great. And tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously COP26 and and how that sort of developed. How, you know, why did they choose you? Certainly, Katrina. So, yeah, we were very honoured to be the
1: platform of choice for COP26, the Global Climate Change Conference uh, in Glasgow uh, in 2021, which was the biggest uh, climate change conference since the Paris Accord, so 190 plus countries came in, and about 150 heads of state, presidents, prime ministers, you name it. And it was a very rigorous process that the UN went through for mm-hmm. nearly, you know, in the beginning of the last calendar year. And so we went through multiple phases of the, you know, the request for proposal, the RFP, and selection process. And in the end, it was us and you know one other big uh, event company who was a uh, part of the selection, and they did a few events with us, a few with them, and ultimately they chose us. So it was a honored to be chosen among all of the platforms across the world because certainly they had a choice of everyone and who doesn't want to work on the biggest event in the world so you know it was very lucky uh, and I think um, our platform and our feature set was very much in line with what they were looking for. I think the biggest thing uh, why a lot of our customers choose us is our uh, very very deep focus on privacy, on uh, security, on compliance and so forth, along with obviously streaming the content, engagement, networking, and so forth. But the foundational focus on the privacy, security, and compliance has been a very big part of uh, why customers choose us. So one example I would give is the ability for our customers like the UN to have curated experiences for thousands of different attendee types. So they all feel special in some way or form. So there could be an experience where you know, in this particular case, they had 2000 plus attendee types. And based upon the attendee type, they could give them permissions, you know, for certain exclusive experiences. And or, for example, for the heads of state, the presidents, you know, in many cases cannot always be in the same room with, you know, the activists, right. So I mean, um, it it just depends on what is going on, and what kind of a uh, forum is being used, and who gets to sign which document and so forth. So there is There's common areas where everybody's there and then exclusive areas where certain people are invited only for, you know, uh, whatever reasons. Right. So when you've got heads of state and policymakers and nonprofits and activists and everybody else in that massive forum from across the world, you do need that curated experience. um, And that is, I think, one of the biggest reasons why, you know, we are very successful in
0: giving our clients uh, what they need. Good, good, good. So that's a very complex event to organize, how do you manage that with your platform i mean let's expl- let's talk a little bit about the platform and 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 the tools you use and how you develop it to cater for these type of large scale events Yes, so I think
1: um again simplicity is the key. yes, the problem can be complex, but the goal is to somehow simplify it and be able to scale it out because yes, it's very complex and especially when there's a web of like two thousand different Attendee types with all the different permission levels—it can become very, very tedious and very complicated. But I would like, rather like to use the word sophisticated because that is exactly what it is. So it took us about half a day, about four hours, to onboard the UN team into that permission-based structure, and they were able to very easily after that create new attendee types and were able to, uh, you know, just give them the right permissions and so forth. And then we automated that as well, so that it wasn't everything had to just you know be done manually so there were some technology integrations that we had to do with their lists so they would prepare their own lists they had their own lists of which you know which attendee types were supposed to go to what kind of events and sign what kind of documents and so forth now instead of them having to come and input all that data on our side we would our system would pick it up and automate it the whole permission uh, levels and everything else right so the great thing about technology, especially now, is that there are so many tools and technology available in the market where you can really create a lot of automations which mm-hmm. are powered by machine learning and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really helps uh, all of us to make our life easier. So even though if it is a you know a pretty complex slash sophisticated you know situation, by using technology, you can really alleviate the pain and get that out of the you know way and focus on giving the customer and the attendees a great experience rather than just having to dabble with problems all day. I mean, I'm not going to deny there were hiccups, you know, because a lot of the stuff was happening,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: uh, last minute, like most events out there. And mm-hmm. um, Some of that last minute stuff did take us a little bit longer to put into place. But finally, you know, the show went on fine and uh, it was a very positive experience for the so-called complexity and the sophistication of the whole, you know, the back end. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you're developing these events, are you very much sort of building the event space with the customer in mind? So uh, there's a slight, like a thin line between a custom
1: platform, you know, and a events platform overall. So we have a overall platform. We don't make custom websites for customers. So they use our platform. They can customize it for example, with their own brand and the colors and the fonts and all that stuff. But as far as the technology is concerned, it's pretty much they use 90% of the technology that is part of the platform itself. Then yes, for such a big event of this kind, we do some custom development from a technology perspective and which in most cases is integration with their systems because they do have their legacy systems which we need to extract data from and permissions and so forth so yes there was some customization done from a technology perspective but the overall experience is the experience of the platform right so we've developed the platform in such a way that it does take into consideration the use cases of you know hundreds of events that we have done over the last few years you know and hundreds of customers that we have served so we continually keep on evolving our platform to uh, meet some of those needs that get identified as we work with different customers. Because, I again, the platform has evolved so much just in the last two, three years, just based upon customer feedback and people are like, well, can I do this? Can I do that? I'm like, well, not right now, but that's a great idea. And we will certainly incorporate that into our product roadmap going forward. You know, So we work very closely with some of our top customers, involve them very much so in our discussions when it comes to the future of our product, because again, you know, they are the ones we are serving and they have specific needs and some of those needs actually can work really well for the rest of our clientele as well. So yeah, it's kind of a collaborative process. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so by listening to your customers, you you know, you're improving the, the product basically. Absolutely. Yeah. It's ever evolving, honestly. Yeah. I can imagine. And you know, what was the event world like before and after the pandemic. Let's talk, you know, a little bit about the, how the events were before the pandemic and how they've evolved due to the pandemic.
1: So it's a very good question. I think before the pandemic, events were pretty much in person. I mean, you tell me if you've been to many virtual events. You know, pre-pandemic, there wasn't much going on. The max that would happen is that the conference keynote would be streamed on their conference website. That was pretty much it, and uh, they would. Recorded and they'll put it on YouTube after that, you know, especially for the bigger conferences. But it was like I would say ninety-five percent of the content was never streamed, and they all wanted you to come in person, pay the right money, and everything else. And it was certainly the era of the mega conferences because I mean I remember so many industry conferences became so massive—fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand people was normal, especially in the big conferences—and became like a big carnival. Yes. And so that was what events were. I don't know if that was the best and most effective way uh, of doing conferences. I always consider events, especially in the business world, corporate world, they are the biggest line item on every marketing budget. But the ROI on events was pretty much an email list because as soon as that person crosses that registration line and they walk in, you have no idea what they did or what were they into or what they did not like. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And there about 5% of the audience ever does a eval, you know, a survey. And, you know, those are the people who mostly were not very happy about the event, right? So the point is, it was, events were a great place to get together. But from a data perspective, from an ROI perspective, it was more like, well, we got a lot of emails and now we're going to talk to these people and hopefully something will happen, right? So it was a lot of uh, question marks. So the way we thought about events, and that's, I mean, the pandemic was a, so we came to market in early 2020 with our platform Mm -hmm. and we were getting some traction with customers and then comes spring 2020 where COVID comes. And so we had a mad rush of, you know, all of our customers and others who we never talked to in the past, you know, wanting to use the platform and or look for options of that kind. So it was a forcing function in some way or form, but on the other side, This was a digital transformation that was supposed to happen over the next four to five years. It just happened in four to five months, right? So there was a scramble and people were not sure what they were doing. So we spent a lot of time in 2020 educating our customers and their vendors on how this virtual world works and how it might be different from the in-person world. You know, so pre-pandemic, I think mega, the bigger the conference, the better, the bigger the parties, the better. You know, that was, I think, the, the world and the ROI was good enough it was an email list. It's like, don't worry, we, we'll find, we'll figure it out. We will get to these people somehow. During pandemic, a forcing function of people to think about different ways of doing things. And I think it really helped in many ways, especially for a lot of our customers that we work with, and we've done, again, hundreds, and hundreds of events. They certainly expanded the reach of their audience. You know, because in the past, it. I mean, I, I know, like, you know, even in working in Microsoft, there was a usual suspects who would go to those conferences. It's certain people from certain teams who represent Microsoft at those conferences, you know, but there's many people in the organization which also want access to that data, but they never were going for, you know, travel budgets. And I mean, going to a conference is expensive. You know, when the thousands of people come in one place, the hotel rates go up, the flights are up. I mean, you know, it's uh, going away from work for five, six days. I mean, it adds up, you know, so of the virtual element of conferences, first of all, expanded the scale. And a lot of people who could never normally go to these events got access to this amazing content, which they never had before. And secondly, the cost associated to accessing that content went down drastically because now you're sitting you know, at your home in front of your computer versus sending 15 people to a conference and also then buying a $100,000 booth there. You know, so it's just uh, mechanics from both sides, more scale, less costly were, I think, the biggest positive outcomes. But certainly there were other parts to it where the events industry has a lot of people in it who still believe that they want to go back to that in-person pomp and show, you know, kind of a deal. So that, I think, uh, the hybrid is coming back. You know, it is going to be, I think, there will be a lot of hybrid going on in 2022, especially second part of 2022.
0: In terms of the in-person, you mean?
1: Yeah, in-person and virtual. So I don't think, I don't know any conference going forward which would be in-person only. I think that time is gone unless they make a conscious decision that no, 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 we only will have in-person, so please come here. I think they would need to have some kind of a virtual component attached to it. So I think conferences will be virtual but a lot of them going forward also have in-person components, so basically become hybrid. Hybrid is certainly the way a lot of our customers are going. I absolutely feel that in-person is very, very important. Again, we are human beings. We've danced around the fire for centuries, and we all need love to get together and talk about our stories and everything else. You know. So yes, in-person should stay and will stay, but what we are focused on right now is how can we make that in-person experience really relevant? Because what would happen in mostly traditional events is that you go to some place and you just bump into people and you hope that you'll find the right people when you're there, you know, and most of the time is just spent on introducing yourself. Like, so what do you do? Like that's the most important like you know common question. In our world, what we think of an event, there's a before, a during and an after. The before is the part when everyone's virtual. And everyone gets to see and hear and partake in some of the introductory content and also meet other people online, you know, and establish relationships with them and talk to them, have a video call with them and all that fun stuff. So that when they meet in person, they already know about that subject matter uh, and they can go into the advanced and deeper levels of that content. And they've already established networks and relationships for the people who are coming. And so it's not like, what do you do? It's more like, oh, wow, it was so amazing talking to you the last few times. You know what? Let's get lunch. Let's maybe even pen a deal. You know, so like you're accelerating, you know, the whole customer experience at the event. So the in-person portion where you're spending a lot of money, investing a lot of your time becomes a lot more relevant and action-oriented. And there is outcomes versus just introductions and email lists, right? So that is how we're thinking about
0: evolving the event experience so in that way do you then kind of you know find ways to use sort of artificial intelligence to match make people or companies or you know in terms of connecting them absolutely you know it's the
1: same exact thing right so it's not we did not invent this right so this is when we listen to music on spotify when we watch movies on youtube or watch videos on youtube or netflix whatever the system's job is to understand who we are you know, it's not like you have to go into YouTube and input like a bunch of data in there about yourself, and then YouTube will give you, you know, some um, options, right? The YouTube just looks at your patterns, your behaviors, and and finds stuff that might be interesting for you. So that's the power of AI and machine learning in the back end, where we are able to, you know, have the person come in and choose. So we know who they are, XYZ at company.com, and you know, their title and their location and so forth. That's part of registration data then we ask them to choose what we call areas of interest it's the same thing as you would choose genres of music if you went to a music app so they might like hip hop they might like classic rock jazz whatever so now we have narrowed down their intent as to why are they here today and then based upon their activities inside the environment what sessions they go to what kind of documents they you know interact with we are able to then further understand what kind of person they are and what they are interested in. Mm. So then we give them matches for other sessions or like, hey, you like this session, maybe you might like this other one too. And or here's 10 people who are have similar interests in, as you, you know, and they can further refine that list if they want to. And then we also give them some recommendations for, well, here's uh, five award-winning solutions in our expo area. So maybe you should check these out because they align with your interests. So the system continuously tries to improve its recommendations based upon the actions of the attendee and uh, based upon the selections that they make. And that helps them to navigate through, you know, and make better use of their time. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. So basically it's, it's it's tailoring it to the attendee, but also giving them the return of investment.
1: Absolutely. So two parts to it, right? The attendees traditionally have been revolving around the conference. That's how I normally put it. It's kind of like, for the lack of a better example, herding sheep from one room to the other, Mm -hmm. right? And then they don't really have a voice. They all sit there and they look at the chosen few who are on the podium and are talking about stuff. So in our world, we feel that the attendees in the center and the event should revolve around the attendee. It is about understanding the attendees' interests and then giving them sessions, networking, content, whatever, based upon their interests and also giving them a voice, you know, so in our platform all throughout, you have the ability to create small meetings and small little sessions of your own where you can be like, look, I like what your agenda said. Now, you know, we have, now I'm going to create my own mini session in here, which is here's the topic and put it up there as part of, you know, what we call round tables Mm -hmm. and they can create a round table and, you know, and anyone who has interest in that could join them. The content by the speakers is what I consider to be the spark. It's not the fire. The fire is when people take that spark and they, you know, get into smaller groups and discuss that and, you know, really lend their voice to that spark. And that becomes the, you know, the fire that we all sit around, right? So the point is we have to give an environment where not just the 5% of the chosen few have a voice. What about those 95% in the audience audience? It's about harnessing the collective intelligence of the entire community who showed up.
0: Mm, okay, that's very interesting. Yeah, so it's not it's, it's a format of events that are changing as well as the, the way events are being sort of delivered.
1: Absolutely. I think that's the right way to say it, Katrina. It's, uh, you know, there is a certain way we do events in the in-person world because we have limitations around, you know, how long we have the venue, how many rooms did we rent out and so forth. The best thing about the virtual world is there is no venue, right? You can rent it out for a whole year. You can, you know, have thousands of rooms if you want. You know, I mean, all those are possibilities, you know, and so it all kind of is driven by the community, the people who are involved. I think the the right events would be where, as I said earlier, where the event owners spark the minds and then the collective, you know, audience just kind of takes the, you know, kind of goes with the flow and they somehow, you know, they they have the right tools to actually create a real dialogue,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to think about the fire and, and you know, talking around the fire to make it kind of like, how do you create that, you know? Yeah. To make it intimate. No, certainly. I think people...
1: Like, for example, like when you go to events, Katrina, like, you know, I'm sure you meet lots of people there, like-minded people and so forth. That's one of the biggest reasons why people go to events, right? You want to meet others who, you know, you can learn from and, you know, who have similar uh, interests and so forth. So, but many a times we are all sitting in the audience looking towards that one person on the podium, but we don't talk much to each other. We can't, there's no way, you know, so, you know, so that's what we're trying to change, which is... Everybody should have should be able to lend their voice to that conversation, and you know, and be open and uh, some kind of avenue for that. Mm-hmm. So technology is definitely enhancing events. Certainly, and the scale that you can achieve—it's not like you have to rent out five other rooms and put tables there for everyone to sit around. Here, just press a button and boom, you have a new round table, you know, and so, and
0: you can invite people and sit around it. What is people's feedback on on virtual events versus you know uh, in person? It depends on uh, industry,
1: depends on age group, depends on uh, you know, culture in many cases, depends on if the community has already, does already know each other versus a group of attendees which never met before. So it's just all different factors that come into the picture when people react to virtual events. Uh, we all, I think, do like to meet in person. I think that is something which is part of the human psyche
0: mm-hmm.
1: overall, you know, but a lot of the new generation, like they grew up on virtual You know, all of their social media is all virtual, right? So, how many times do they get together with all of these friends? They don't, but they have friends from all over the world, you know, and who are part of their Instagram or whatever else. And they know they spend hours and hours on that every day. So, a person who grew up on this, for them, it's just a natural extension of who they are, and that's a very big part of the population across the world right now that is has been basically they grew up on these virtual experiences. Now, on the other side, yes, that is true, but then it's also about engagement, and different people engage differently. So when we have a sales kickoff, so for example, we do these big, massive sales kickoff meetings, you know, for some of our big customers. Very competitive crowd, all salespeople, right? So they just want to get their voice heard somehow. So they will use every tool possible to get themselves highlighted. Versus when you have, you know, some other audience, which is, you know, generally a more relaxed crowd. They, you know, some of them will reach out. Some of them mostly would be observers, listeners. You know, it just depends on the the crowd of who the people are. Also, I would say there's one challenge that has come across, which is engagement. You know, so yes, sessions are delivered great, but then do people engage with the content? Yes or no? So the tools might exist, but a lot of the focus for the event owners in the last year, year and a half has been about getting the content out there but they haven't focused as much on highlighting the tools and or nudging the people towards those engagement tools. They think their job is over once the content is done. It's like, my job's over. You heard what I had to say. Thank you. But yeah, there are some tools. If you want to use them, go for it. It's not been embedded in the experience overall you know, as part of the program that is set up. So that is changing because most of our customers, they kind of cross that mountain which was about delivering content and this year 2022 is certainly the year of engagement where they really want to engage their audiences we do have the tools for it but mm. i you know we work now with a lot of our customers to have them understand the value of those tools and how to embed those tools into that entire experience and carve out certain times just for that interaction piece so that is helping certainly the third thing is something called zoom fatigue right i'm sure you've heard that mm. A lot of people talk about like, I'm just sick and tired of sitting on Zoom calls and or, you know, Microsoft Teams, whatever, you know, all day. It's just like, I'm just tired of this. Mm. But I always, when people say that, I always say, have you ever heard of Instagram fatigue? Believe me, it's not. People have no problem looking at screens all day. We look at screens all day and that's just fine. Look at our phone. Whenever we are sitting in a bus, in an airplane, we're looking at our phones all the time. The point is, it's the content that matters. Zoom fatigue doesn't exist it's bad content which is rampant so people are just taking their in-person world event you know content one hour powerpoint presentation and just sticking it online i'm sorry when was the last time you watched a one hour on anything unless it was a movie right so the point is you know you cannot do that you know you have to understand that online is what short form content so you have to have your short form content and then you can link off to a longer form one hour video that's okay but you cannot just shove this one-hour thing on everyone and think your job's done, right? So it's just things of that kind where we have to understand the, the, the medium and accordingly adapt the content delivery and so forth.
0: So you talked about engagement. I mean, and that's 2022 is the year of engagement. Is it like engaging in, you know, like getting the people beyond just delivering the content and sort of like how do you engage them more than just delivering the content? Absolutely. So in most cases, believe
1: me, majority of the virtual events I've been to in the last year and a half has all been about content was delivered. There is some mechanism to ask questions. Roughly, you know, four to 5% of the audience ever asked a question. I mean, we all know that right from kindergarten onwards, right? I mean, not everybody's, you know, brings up their hand and asks a question. So that's been the so-called engagement mechanism so far. But then we've we've personally have built so many different ways of engaging. As we talked to you earlier about the roundtables we also have something called speed networking in which, you know, like just like speed dating, you get three minutes, but the system, you know, really helps you choose and find the right people from across hundreds of people or thousands. Uh, then we have something called speed pitch in which companies can pitch to customers about their products and so forth, like in that three minute format. You know, so there is all these different mechanisms that we have created, you know, to meet the needs of this next generation or this next phase of events, right? So imagine an event where you go in few weeks before the actual event, all the hundred level, the introductory content is already available. You watch all those session videos, you interact with those speakers. Uh, The system recommends people to you based upon your interests, So you already make connections with the right people. You have a video call with them, all that inside the platform itself. Then you go to a a speed networking session, you know, with some of the uh, sponsors and exhibitors where they pitch their, their solutions to you in like two or three minute formats. And if you like some of that, then you say, okay, that was really interesting. Let's have a, deeper meeting and show me more of this demo and, and tell me how it will work for my industry. So now you've done all of this in like, you know, online before the actual event. So when you go in person, you already have a great knowledge of the content. So you're going into the deep dive workshops, you know, where you roll up your sleeves and actually get into that subject matter, participate in some way or form. And when you're going, they already have your whole roster set up for all your lunch meetings and your side meetings with people you actually care about. And then thirdly, you're not walking around the expo hall, you know, hounded by kind of like a used car salesman lot, right? I mean, everybody's trying to just grab you. You already know those four companies that you want to meet with and you set things up and you might sign a deal by the end of the conference, right? So that is the experience that I think that that engagement is very important. And that is what we're trying to uh, create and, and help our customers
0: create. Wonderful. Well, God, there's so much depth to it. And technology is is very much, you know, enabling all this to happen, you know, with hybrid events. Are there any sort of downfalls with technology that you find? Are there any pitfalls? Well, I mean, you know,
1: technology uh, is <laughs> sometimes doesn't work. You know, there have been situations in the world where, you know, we had a partner who was uh, streaming the content from, you know, the middle of, you know Africa for a un event and power went out you know and they did not have backup power uh, you know and so we could not see the stream for an hour or so you know and uh, it's just there and it was a small small city you know and it wasn't you know the usual conference uh, thing but we certainly did want to get the voice of that part of the world into the overall global dialogue so yes technology sometimes can fail you because of the fact that technology depends upon a lot of these external factors, internet speeds and power and, and so forth, you know, versus when you're in person, the power goes off, you know, you can just walk out of the conference room and, you know, just kind of go and sit on a bench and talk about it, right? So it's just uh, those things, technology can sometimes, you know, fail and sometimes can get delayed and things of that kind. Sometimes it might not be optimal and some people from certain parts of the world might not have access to technology as we all do in our daily lives in the, you know, in certain parts of the world. You know, so assist technology sometimes can be, you know, that uplifts people, but then also it could be, you know, a situation where it keeps other people out because they just don't have access to the tools to access this technology. So we are trying our best to make it as inclusive as possible. You know, we have uh, our systems are in such a way that even if you are on a low power internet connection in some part of the world, you'll still be able to, if not access the video, but at least the audio. And things of that kind right and if you are you know physically challenged in some way or form you can still use all sorts of screen readers and so forth you know to get to the content you know so we do our best to be as inclusive as possible you know to have everyone participate but yes there is still a lot more work to do and i hope that as time goes by you know more and more people can participate and lend their voice you know to the global dialogue
0: Wonderful. And, you know, where, where are we going with the future events and where are we going with Social 27?
1: Well, as far as the future events is concerned, I would say uh, certainly I think uh, the reach is immense. People have realized that you can participate from anywhere in the world, you know, and that's the great thing about the virtual component of events. I think that from the base upon what I'm seeing out there, I think it might be going from Yes, the mega events will still be there, but there will be a lot more smaller events happening throughout the year. Uh, I think people want to connect with their communities throughout the year versus once a year in a big, massive carnival, right? So I think that is something which people are seeing a lot of value in. And now they can do that through virtual because it's not as expensive to do like, you know, six events in the year. It's very expensive otherwise for in-person mega events. You know, so I think more events throughout the year, more community connections and more reach and being able to lend the voice of people from across the globe into these, you know, into these forums. I think that's the future of events, certainly.
0: Into into forums.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like having the voice of all of the people from across, right? Because if an event was in the US, it would primarily be the US people and some people will come from overseas. It's expensive. But then now with virtual, people can come from anywhere. You can have speakers from anywhere. So it's not just only the speakers in the US. You can have speakers from you know Uganda from Australia, New Zealand from anywhere, you know, and so I think it's really really brings that global voice together. I think that is the great thing about, especially when you're working with the u n and other companies of that organizations of that sort, but also working with the Microsofts of the world where they're able to bring in speakers and customers and 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 employees from across the whole globe to pitch in their voice. So that is, I think the beauty the beauty of what the future of events is going to be. As far as what Social 27 will do, I guess our job is to make sure that we make these experiences happen. So that's what we're focused on.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. And will you be organizing any events in the metaverse? Yeah, we certainly are looking to having a
1: metaverse version of our platform, which will be more immersive in nature. Before the end of the calendar year, we should have that version out as well. You know, we are certainly, that's part of our product roadmap. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting next phase of, uh, I mean, you know, where events would go. I don't know if all the events would be happening in the metaverse in the next couple of years, but certainly it's a
0: growing space.
1: Yes, there is. Yes, there is.
0: It's another world. It is. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: It's uh, also goes with the generations, you know, so my nephew, he is 10 years old and, you know, in in his last birthday, he asked me to buy him something on Roblox, which is a kind of like a metaverse for kids. He wanted a, a, you know, a a hat and a, uh, like some kind of a, toy in the metaverse not a real one which for me was like wow that was my moment when I was like we really need to speed up our metaverse plans because I was thinking more like you know 2023 ish I'm like no before the end of this calendar year we have to have an option as well because this is where the world is going like a kid is telling you buy me a hat and buy me this other toy in my metaverse Roblox versus in person because Who says that that is not the world? If the world is where the people we care about are, right? So for some people, the world is physical in front of us. And for some people, it's in the metaverse, virtual. So it just all depends upon where we have the best experience, where we are happier, happiest. That's our own world, right? So I think the definition of what is the real world and what is
0: not the real world is completely changed, at least in my mind. Definitely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. There's so much we can talk about when it comes to events and where it's going, but I think we've covered a lot of very good topics and really enjoyed talking to you and learning about Social 27 and and where the event space is going.
1: Thank you so much, Katrina. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, Very insightful questions. And yeah, I'm glad I think uh, we had had the opportunity to discuss all of this.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, pleasure and uh, look forward to hearing more. Uh, sounds good, Katrina. Take
1: care. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Tied Together. If you have any comments or you have any feedback
0: for us, you can always email us at tied together at cohesus.co.uk.